At the risk of scaring you away from the church, let me welcome you this morning. Especially if you're visiting with us for the first time, we pray God's blessing on you and hope we serve you well this morning. I hope you have your Bibles. I have my Bible with me this morning. I'm opening up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and verse 19, Hebrews 6, 19. It's not only a good idea to bring your Bible, but it's a good idea to bring a pen or pencil, a highlighter. A lot of folks bring little notebooks, and it's very useful to them to uh, take a few notes. My Bible is filled with... uh, underlining and notes in the margin and so on. And I have to say probably half of them uh, were written in, in my Bible during church services. Sometimes it's even hard to read my Bible because of the notes. Okay, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, "...which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast. The rest of the verse says, and which entereth into that within the veil, but I really want to focus in on the first half of the verse where it says, we have a hope that is the anchor of our soul. It is a sure and steadfast anchor. I understand that it was quite common for writers in the first century whether they be Roman writers or Greek writers, to refer to a ship's anchor as a metaphor. And I think that tradition in literature has gone on right until the current day. The captain of a ship will temporarily sacrifice forward progress by dropping his anchor. Perhaps he's coming to a good harbor and he drops his anchor and he says, we're going to take a time out here. We're going to spend a little time in a safe harbor before we go forward on our trip. The anchor stops forward progress, but it stops backward progress as well. The captain is saying, I won't reach a new port right now. I accept that. I'm going to be patient but I'm not going to tolerate any backward movement, any losses. I will not lose what I have gained. I have come this far. I will not be blown away from this good accomplishment. And the promise of going ahead on our journey in the future. This morning, I'm not going to talk to you about hope as a power in and of itself. I'm not going to talk about and encourage you to be an optimistic person, simply an optimistic person. There is a kind of power in being optimistic and being a hopeful person, having that as a, as a personality trait. But I'm going to talk especially about the hope that is created by the promise and oath of God. Verse 13 refers to the promise of God, and verse 17 refers to the oath of God the expectation that we have of eternity. So the source and grounding of our hope is quite specific this morning. It is not really in us. It is in the promise and oath that God have given us. Praise God. 
Anchors are also used in mountain climbing. Pins are driven into the mountainside, and they're called anchors. Wedges are propped inside crevices. And the anchor catches the mountain climber if he slips. The anchor provides him safety on his journey up the mountain face. He will carry on after his slip because the anchor was there to hold him. Anchors are also used in construction. This building, as an example, contains, I think, something like 100 columns. Columns all over the building, holding up our, the roof over our head where there aren't walls to support the roof. Every one of those columns is anchored to a great big slab of concrete. And it's anchored to that slab by a, a, a strong anchor bolt. And that's because the designers of this building wanted this building to have a long future. Wanted this building to stand the tests of time and wind and storm. This morning I'd like to talk to you about um, the hope that is an anchor to our souls from a broad perspective and then narrow our way in. You know how some television programs begin with sort of an aerial shot of, the, of where the uh, uh, story's going to take place, and then they move in a little closer, and then the, before you know it, they're in the neighborhood where the story's going to take place, and then they might go right inside the living room where the story's going to take place. They start far out, and they get closer and closer. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to start, first of all, talking about uh, the anchor of in global affairs, great big affairs of humanity. Then I'm going to talk, to talk about the hope we have as an anchor to our personal behavior. We're going to narrow it down to our personal behavior. And finally, I'm going to talk about how we have a hope as an anchor to our inner person. We're going to go right inside our person. So as I mentioned, first off, the more global view. Human nature has so much power given to us from the Creator. We have power to dream. Humanity has this incredible power to dream, plan, imagine, invent. It's incredible. We can learn from the past and then project that into what we've learned into the future and change the future. We can change the world, and we have in many, many ways. What will we do with the astonishing abilities that God has given us? We need to have those abilities anchored in Him. It's inconceivable to me, as a little side note, as a little side comment, It's inconceivable to me to believe that humanity has these abilities to think, invent, remember, teach, learn, share, and project into the future our ideas, make guesses. It is inconceivable to me that we have these abilities without having been touched by the finger of God. To imagine that these things simply evolve by accident and natural selection is inconceivable to me. 
God has seemingly made the impossible possible for humanity. What will we do as humanity with our nations? They ought to be founded on the promises of God. But how often are they? What will we do with our societies and our schools, our discussions, our libraries, our laboratories, and our inventions? What will we do with our factories? Are they not intended to be anchored in our Creator? But how often are they? In fact, they are so seldom anchored in the will of the Creator. All these big and global activities of humanity are so seldom anchored in the promises of God that God can literally be forgotten after a while because all these endeavors continue forward with no recognition of God. We won't know what to do in the middle of all this distracting hubbub of activity in the world if we do not honor God with our abilities. Keep your hand here, put a bookmark in Hebrews chapter 6. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. I'll jump in at verse 5, but I know you'll read, you'll read a few verses ahead and a few verses after. That's no problem. You've got a Bible on your lap. Praise God. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, And this they begin to do, the thing they were beginning to do is to build a very, very high tower. This they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. You see, what was happening here is they were building a tower as their brand. A lot of times we say they were building the tower in order to reach to heaven, and I disagree with that. I don't think they had any mind for heaven. I don't think they, I think that was just a way to describe that it was very high. But their minds were not on heaven. Their minds were not on God. Their minds were on themselves. What they wanted to do was make a brand. It was the Tower brand. brand. It was the Babylon brand. And uh, brothers and sisters, that that brand still exists to this day. It's going to exist right until the end. It's going to be part of the apocalypse. It's the fall of Babylon is described in the book of Revelation because it still exists to this day. It's a brand. And the center of that brand is mankind. It's humanity. It's the world. It's mankind seeking to draw himself together and make himself great. 
And God looked at what they were doing and he said, I can see it's like nothing is impossible to humanity. But see, they were not using their God-given gifts to honor God. They were ignoring the Lord. They were distracted by their fantastical abilities. They were distracted by the power of their imagination. And they sought to hoard unto themselves the fruit of their labors, and it offended God. It wasn't right. They forgot God. They were being creative without without remembering who created them and why they existed, the purpose of their lives. Human government, human society, human manufacturing, human prosperity without God is going to result in us being blown far off course because we will have no anchor. We will have nothing holding us from losing. We will lose, unanchored, be blown into oblivion. God desires that we dedicate our dreams and our inventions to Him, not to ourselves. Our labors are best invested not in self-expression, but in God-expression. The nations, the governments, the, the economies, the inventions, the technologies, the manufacturing could all be dedicated to God. And they would be a wonder to behold. They would be pointing always toward eternity and light and truth. I want to tell you, young person, old person, whatever station in life you may be, you may be considering a career or a job change a career adjustment, I want to encourage you to seek God about that. Seek God about your career. Seek how God might use your dreams and your inventiveness. Seek God how he might use your energy and your strength, your drive and your courage for him and for the kingdom of God. That is the desire of God for every individual. Amen? Mankind is forever saying, look what we can do. God knows how it can seem as though we can do anything. He knows how it seems at times like nothing will be impossible to us. We inspire ourselves. But there still remains the most important things that we cannot do. We cannot reach heaven. We cannot live forever. We must seek our inspiration and our answers from God. Isaiah 14, 12. It says here in Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? This is actually a kind of a lament 
over the devil. It is an enlightening uh, prophetic utterance by the prophet Isaiah about the devil. Lucifer is the devil. And, and as Jesus confirms to us, Satan uh, was thrown out of heaven like lightning and he fell from heaven. Let's read a little bit here, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Oh, he was created with great powers of inventiveness and imagination. Great powers to hold sway over nations and peoples. But see how he is torn down and how his pride comes before his fall. Now he wants us. And he wants the whole world to follow his template. The Bible says the whole world lies in the sway of the wicked one. He wants the whole world. He wants humanity and the nations, the economies, the societies to follow his template, to challenge God with pride. And the Bible gives us fair warning. God won't abide it. He won't tolerate it. There's another passage about uh, the devil and his schemes and how they will fail. Ezekiel 28, 15. Ezekiel 28. Now the passage is here and also in Isaiah 14. They're longer than what I'm reading. Time constrains us this morning so that I only have time to read so much. If I begin at verse 15, 28, 15, it says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Now that could sound like the history of the human race. Adam and Eve created perfect. They were created perfectly until iniquity was found in them. But in this case, it's actually referring to Lucifer or Satan. The prophet Isaiah spoke about his story. And the prophet Ezekiel as well tells about Satan's testimony here. Thou wast perfect until iniquity was found in thee. Verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. 
I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. And like I said, we could uh, go on from here, but you see that the template is the same as it was in Isaiah chapter 14 that uh, Satan became, or Lucifer became very proud with his God-given abilities. Because the God-given abilities were not meant to exalt him, they were meant to exalt his creator. But he did not use his God-given abilities correctly. Instead, he got a big heart, a big head, about a big head, prideful about what he could do and what he could accomplish. He was giddy and drunken with the power that was in his hands. He was in love with himself and his beauty and his creativity and his power. And we should avoid the template, not follow the template. But of course, mankind is not trying to avoid this template. It is walking down the yellow brick road to the wizard. The phony wizard, right? Our ingenuity, creativity, our power to form teams and work together, our books, our technology, it all exists to express God and to do His will. But all of these things can be used for other purposes. His promise is our anchor. Lest we blow off course. Lest we are blown into the wild chaos of the vast, vast ocean of possibilities. God's promise and oath are the anchor to our souls. Lest we fall from heaven like the devil. We don't gain eternal life through human societies, human associations, human inventions, and efforts. We all die just the same. Eternal life can only be had through the promises of God, which are an anchor to our souls. We cannot communicate with the eternal, with God, by our own inventions. All human invention can become a distraction when it does not lead us to the eternal hope of life with our Maker. We're not at our best when we, quote, think of something. All the time we're trying, think of something, think of something. Mankind, think of something. Governments and nations, think of something. That's not when we're best, at our best. We're at our best when we listen and learn. That's when we'll be at our best. When we listen and learn and bring our creative abilities out for the glory of God. We might say, I've thought of something. Love is the answer. Love is the answer. It's the, it's the answer to human society. It's the answer of nations and relationships. Love is the answer. 
But I want to tell you, ask you something. Who says? Who says and on what authority is love the answer? On what is love anchored? If love is not anchored, it too is a ship blown by the winds. How do we know what to love? It's just a cliche, love is the answer. Unless it's clarified and explained, unless we learn and we're taught. But who are we going to be taught by? Without God, we don't know how to love. We don't know what to love. We'll be untethered. We'll just be blowing about by the winds of fashion, the winds of generations, the winds of culture, the winds of popularity. It should be a sign to us when we realize how varied are the ideas about loving, how changeable about how to love, what to love. This should be a sign to us that we're wandering. We're being blown about in free fall, unanchored. We don't know what we're doing. We're at the mercy of the winds because we don't have God for our anchor. I'm speaking of humanity. I'm speaking of the nations. I'm speaking of the societies and the technologies. What do we know if we're not anchored to God and his promises? What do we know if we're not anchored to immortality? We need him. To throw out a brand word, love, isn't helpful if we're not taught how, when, what. Amen? Jesus said this. This is in John 15, 14. You are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. There, an anchor. There, a standard. There, solid ground. Do whatever he commands you. Listen to him. Listen and learn from Jesus. Some would say, well, uh, okay, love is not the, is not the uh, brand. Here's the brand, the common good. Do what is for the common good. Do what is good for the community. Oh, it's a very dangerous slogan, my brothers and my sisters. We must realize that the Caesars had that as their motto, for the common good, for Rome. Hitler had that for the common good, for the common good of the Reich. Oh, it wasn't for the common good of the Jews. Watch out for that slogan. It's fascism. It's dictatorship. It's tyranny for the common good. They don't know what the common good is. China, it's their motto for the common good, for China. Everything for China. It's their motto for the common good. But the Caesars and Hitler and China have perpetrated terrible evils in this world. Tyrannies, oppressions, and dictatorships have perpetrated evil in the name of the common good. We can talk about the common good if we talk about the will of God because he wants the common good. Do you know that God desires that all men be saved? He does not take pleasure in the death of a soul. He is ready to forgive. God desires 
commonly the good of mankind. But he has a way for us to walk. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go therein. Narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. We need anchors more than philosophies, more than regimes. What will protect us from the might makes right theory of government? The might makes right theory of ethics and morality. What will protect us? We need to be anchored to God's Word. Amen? The Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31 says, These things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Brothers and sisters, if God was a liar, he wouldn't be God. Don't believe in a liar. Believe in one who, for whom it is impossible to lie. A liar is a joke. A liar is a curse. A charlatan. A faker. An actor. God is no liar. A liar is a counterfeit. God is no counterfeit. A liar is a fiction. He's an actor. He's not God. Men make lies. Fallen angels make lies. God does not lie. Hallelujah. God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? I told you next, after considering the anchor for humanity on a global scale, that we would talk about a more personal and individual scale, and particularly our physical self and our obedience to God, our actions for God, what we actually do for the Lord. I've talked about God to be the anchor of our souls in the big worldwide sense. Human endeavors and institutions, governments, schools, societies, and so on. But how about the soul? How about the individual soul? Because Hebrews 6 says an anchor to the soul or an anchor for the soul of each individual. Who can be the anchor for your personal life, your physical life, your behavior, and your decisions? Famously, Fyodor Dostoevsky, in his final great work, The Brothers Karamazov, writes, Without God, all things are permissible. We're used to saying, with God, all things are possible. He said, without God, all things are permissible. What will hold us in our own personal decisions, in our own personal behaviors? What will hold us steady? What's more, he says in the same book, Dostoevsky says in the same book, quote, if you were to destroy 
in mankind the belief in immortality. Not only love, but every living force maintaining the life of the world would at once be dried up. Moreover, nothing would be immoral. Everything would be lawful, even cannibalism. Interestingly, there are two things paired here. God and immortality. And that's why we need hope as an anchor for our souls. Faith in God, but also realization that there is an eternity ahead of us for which, in which we will answer to God. How do you know when to fight and when to tolerate? How do you know? I always fight. Well, heaven help you, and I'll just leave you be. I always tolerate. Well, where's your integrity? There's a time to fight and there's a time to tolerate. But how do you know which is which? How do you know when to go from one to the other? You need the help of God. How do you know when to follow your desires and when to fight your desires? How do you know when to love someone and when to distance yourself from someone? How do you know? How do you know when to work and when to rest? Think about your words, the words that you say. Do you ever wonder after you've said something, did I help or did I harm? Was I a help in that, in what I said? Was I helping people or was I harming someone by what I said? How will you even know? Think about how you respond to other people in your relationships. You might wonder, am I a better person than I was or Am I headed in the wrong direction? Do my responses indicate a better person or a worse person? I want to ask you, how are you ever going to know without a personal anchor to your personal soul? You won't know what you're doing. You'll be blown here and blown there. You'll be guessing. To what are you personally anchored We might say, well, doesn't the Bible say there's a time for everything, a time to love and a time to hate, a time to war and a time to make peace? And I say, yeah, it does, but as a handful of things in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's not really that helpful unless you know which time is which, when to go from one to the other. You need some help. Do you feel your need for God today? Wow, we need him. But we can have him. Psalm 36, 9 says, For with thee, O Lord, is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. God has never led anybody wrong. He's the anchor you can rely on. I know a lot of people throughout history, a lot of people, a lot of organizations, nations, and so on, have done wrong things in the name of the Lord. 
They have done wrong, they have done evil, and they slap the name of Jesus and the Bible on it. Uh, You could talk about the Crusades and the Crusaders, the Inquisition. You could talk about the KKK. And you could make a long, long list of people who have did evil in the name of the Lord. There have been many more, and there are some around to this day. I do not, for one second, justify any of them. They did evil. What they did, they did in the name of the Lord, but they did not follow even the most rudimentary, the primary, the top-level commandments of Jesus. They ignored them. They ignored the easy commandments of Jesus. Not easy to follow, but easy to understand. Right off the top, they didn't follow the commandments of Jesus. So they did what they did in the name of Jesus. They were an embarrassment to the name of Jesus, no doubt about it, but they didn't follow him. I'm talking about following him. I'm talking about listening and learning from Jesus. Amen? It is not hard to listen to Jesus. I want to prove that to you. Look at Matthew 28, 19. We know this as the Great Commission, some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and us before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 19 says, "'Go ye therefore and teach all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world or the end of the age. Amen. The teaching of Jesus, I read here, is good for every nation. There is not a nation where the teaching of Jesus is not good. It is good for every nation. It is good for every continent. It is good for every history and every heritage. The teaching of Jesus is for all nations, not some nations, not the nations that happen to fit more closely in tradition and in history to Christianity. It is good for every nation, every culture, and every time period. He says, I will be with you till the end of time. The the teachings of Jesus are timeless. They're placeless. They're cultureless. They're good for every culture, every time, every nation, every, every age. Amen? The teachings of Jesus do not grow irrelevant when you go across a particular boundary, when you go across a particular ocean, when you go across a particular millennium, a millennia, the teachings of Jesus do not grow irrelevant by time, by place, by culture, by nation, by heritage, or by history. They're good for everyone. Praise God. Can I hear an Amen. Don't ever say, well, the Bible, the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus, they they were for a time long, long ago. It is now the 21st century, and we have to jettison some of those teachings of Jesus. Well, we, we do have to realize 
how to apply the teachings of Jesus to our modern age. I mean, Jesus didn't have uh, cinemas, and he didn't have internet, and he didn't have social media. There are a lot of things we have in our world that Jesus doesn't talk specifically about. So we do have to learn from Jesus how to live his way in our time. But if we are not living his way in our time, we have no anchor. What is our anchor? We're being blown about. We're losing ground. The teachings of Jesus are the timeless teaching of God. Praise God. Each of us, each one of us must become a disciple of Jesus and learn from him. You could be in your lifetime the student of many, many subjects. You can learn about many uh, majors and subjects and human endeavors, but the truly human priority is to learn of him, to become a student of Jesus. He has prospered people in every time, every nation, every culture when they listened to him. The more people will listen to him, the greater he will have that way among those people. Whether it be a time period, a nation, a place, or a city, when people will listen to him, he will have his way and he will bring a blessing. He has promised it. He has made an oath that he will do it. Sin is wreaking havoc in our world right now. Wherever you look, there is anger, bitterness, violence, greed, lying, broken promises, substance abuse, pornography, lasciviousness, adultery, unthankfulness, materialism, disrespect, pride, apathy. Am I telling the truth? Jesus promises to set us free from wickedness and empower us to do righteousness. Praise God. I have only a few minutes left to go to my third topic, and that is how the anchor of our soul holds steadfast our inner person. He holds steadfast any nation that will serve him. He'll hold steadfast in behavior any individual who will serve him. But we also stand in need of comfort, security, safety, reliability in our inner person. When should you linger on a thought? And when should you banish a thought from your mind forever and say, I never want to think that thought again? How will you know? When should you laugh And when should you cry? I find that people often don't know. When should you pay attention when you feel agitated inside and follow it? And when should you let that agitation go? Oh, they're not easy questions. It's the life of our inner person. Hebrews 6.19, if we could go back to Hebrews chapter 6.
Hebrews 6.19 says specifically which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Our souls need hope to be healthy. We have to have hope for our futures, for our future destination. The fear of death is a powerful spoiler inside the human heart. It seems as though our souls are the part of us that is the most tossed, the most troubled, and most in need of an anchor, the anchor that God has given us. Our hope is anchored in two unchanging things. Verse 13, that God has promised his blessing on those who follow him by faith. And in verse 17, that God has sworn an oath to confirm that promise. In other words, he has put his own holy, divine reputation on the line. God doesn't make a promise lightly. He stakes his holy character on that promise. But the anchor is only as useful as the cable that connects the anchor to the boat. Most boaters have reached into the cubby that holds their anchor and all the anchor rope, reached in, grabbed the anchor, saw a rope tied around it, thrown it over the boat, and watched the anchor sink in a six-foot-length piece of rope go with it. Uh Uh-oh. I forgot to tie the six-foot-length of rope to the 600-foot-length of rope that's still in the cubby. Most boaters have done it at least once. The anchor is only as good as the cable that connects it to the boat. And you must grasp your anchor. You are called to take hold of your anchor, Jesus Christ. To grab it and hold it and not let it go. Amen? Verse 18 says that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. We must grasp the hope of eternal life with our maker. He has promised it. He has sent his son to facilitate it. He has sent his son to make it possible for us to enter into eternity with our God. He has laid his divine reputation on the line. He has put it right before us to grasp it by faith. It is there for the taking because it is there for the believing. If we're to be strengthened and steadied by this hope, we have to take hold of it. It shouldn't be a cloudy hope to you. It should not be vague. It should be much stronger than a wish. It is expressed well in Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. I understand 
that unless you happen to be in very shallow water, when you throw your anchor into the water to do its job, it disappears. It goes deep into the water where you can't see it. But you'll know if it's doing its job. Likewise, you have faith in a God who is invisible to you right now. The Bible says your faith, though, in the invisible God is as precious, more precious than gold. That it will endure the trials of life. That your anchor will sustain you. Because you have a hope that whatever you're going through now is temporary. It's temporary, and I refuse to go backwards. I am not going backwards. I am anchored in the promise of God and in His hope. It is invisible while it does its work, but oh, it does its work in such a wonderful way. It keeps the ship from destruction. It keeps the climber from falling far. Amen? Oh Lord, I pray that you grant us strength as we put our hope in you. That you enable us, O oh Lord, to see ahead to our future existence with you. That that hope, O oh Lord, will be an anchor to us in the trials of life. And that we will not be moved, O oh Lord, by the storms of discussion and institutions, public policies, libraries and books that are being written. Oh Lord, for if it is not anchored in you, it is floating. It is being blown. It has no direction. Oh Lord God, we pray for your grace in the name of Jesus to stay grounded in our eternal hope with you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Praise the Lord. Saints, I pray that you have a wonderful day. A reminder, tonight uh, we'll have preaching. We will be uh, praying together uh, next week on Sunday night. Sunday night next week will be corporate prayer night here at Living Word Church. And uh, we pray for God's grace to figure out just just how often and how much to to pray like that. Amen. And uh, we pray for God's leading. Amen. But we will have church tonight, Lord willing. Hope to see you. God bless. You're dismissed.